Welcome to the Wizard Apprentice Podcast. I'm your host, Seth, and welcome to this episode of Player Insight. We have a lot of really good discussion coming up, but the question of the day is how can we as players improve our backstory for our D&D campaigns? But first, let me tell you about what you're listening to. The Wizard Apprentice Podcast is designed for players and DMs alike to get short, informational, and purposeful talks that help make D&D more enjoyable and smooth. With talks from world building, character creation, practical guides on monsters, and much more, we are dedicated to improving your game. So again, the question of the day is how can we as players improve our backstories? Some backstories, uh, there's a lot of conversation that goes about how people can create backstories and how deep or long they should be or how short or concise they should be or what kind of information you need in your backstory. And so it can be really confusing for a player as they're getting started to think, well, what, what should I prepare whether you're new and you've you, this is this is your first campaign ever, or you're a seasoned veteran who's been playing D and D for decades, um, you can you still have to think about what your character did before they became an adventurer and where are they going now. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to break down what backstories can look like, what they should look like, um, and give questions that we should be asking about each part of our backstory. And then, lastly, we'll be making a backstory together. So, if you guys, I have an episode uh, on of DMs Insight uh, from this past week where we got to talk about how we should incorporate player backstories into our campaign. In that episode, I broke down a player's backstory, a character's backstory, into five uh, parts: their origin, their incident, their journey, conflict, and resolution. With these five things, we got to break down a character's backstory and how we would incorporate that into our uh, into a DM's campaign. Now we're going to kind of be doing the opposite. We're going to be breaking down those five things and we're going to be talking about, well, what do those look like and how do I use those as tools and guidelines to help me build my character's backstory? So let's do it. Let's go ahead and let's dive on in. The first part is the origin. The origin is where you are from, who you belong to, how you were raised, and what you were doing before you became an adventurer. The origin is going to take up the majority of your character's life prior to the campaign. So that is, and here are some questions that you want to ask yourself is those, well, where am I from? Is my character, uh, is he live in a city? Does he live uh, just on this continent? He wanders. Does my character, is he live in a tribe? Does he live with a, you could, there's any number of places that your character could be from, but your character has to be from somewhere. Even if it was, I was born here and I moved to this new place. Okay, great. Where is your character from? Who does your character belong to? And what I mean by that is, your parents or your character or maybe someone who took you in, who raised you, who who kept you alive while you were an infant, <laughs> right? Because chances are you didn't come out of the womb being able to hunt and gather for yourself. You had someone take care of you. So who was it? 
not only does that encourage you to think about what your character's life looked like before you became an adventurer, but also gives you a couple NPCs to add into your backstory. My mom, my dad, my aunt, my uncle, my older cousin, my older siblings, wolves, whatever you want to make it look like. Um, but who do you belong to? Who, who raised you? You also want to ask the question, how were you raised? What did your house look like? What did your home look like? Or where, or what did the traveling look like for you? Were you raised uh, in a, in a lavish, uh, lavish, uh, Prince hall and you were, and you were tended to at every moment and you never had to lift your finger for anything. You simply just told them and they would do, or did you have to fight for yourself? You were taught from a very young age, hey, we, we cannot take care of you forever. You will have to do things on your own, and you're going to be the one who's going to have to survive. The way that your character was raised is going to depict their personality, their work ethic, um, their alignment a lot of time. It can really affect a lot of things. So uh, along with that is what were you doing before you became an adventurer? So that could be a profession, a job, um, your childhood, um, what you did up to becoming the adventurer that the party is going to meet. This, again, takes up a majority of the life prior to adventuring. Um, so if, let's say your character is 20 years old whenever they join the party and they begin working with them. This is probably going to take up the, this, this start. The origin takes up 19 years of that. It takes up almost the entire thing. So where they're born who they belong to, how they were raised, what you did before you became an adventurer. Well, again, we'll be talking about that. That is your background. Um, your background is what you did before you became an adventurer. So whenever we look at the player's handbook, you look at your character sheets and you see at the top, it says background. Oh, well, what does that mean? That means what you did before you became an adventurer. In the player's handbook, by assigning a background to your character, you gain certain traits and benefits dependent on what that is. So if you were a soldier... You were trained to fight. You were trained to defend yourself. And so you have proficiency in skills like athletics and intimidation um, versus someone who had to, a, um, an urchin who had to scrounge out on the streets for survival, um, stealing and pickpocketing and, and basically digging through dumpsters to try and find food. Their skills are going to be different than that of a soldier's. And so they're going to gain proficiencies in different things. That way, in the background, that way it allows players to have more than just two proficiencies, three proficiencies when they start. Every character will have at least four proficiencies and skills that they, that they know and understand before they start the campaign. At least four, which is very, I think it's very fair that every player starts with that many. Because again, these are super, these characters are incredibly powerful compared to the average person. The average person has in D&D four HP. <laughs> A level one wizard with a zero in their constitution modifier, which is average, has six HP, which means that technically to the average con uh, the average commoner, a wizard can take 50% more uh, damage and punishment than a regular person can. So we're talking talk about a barbarian. Barbarians can take three times the amount of damage that a regular commoner can take, not including rage or any of, the, or any of his crazy abilities. So again... Uh, these are supernatural, supernaturally powerful characters compared to the average person. So we are able to play them up to be that way as well. So that's your origin, where, you, where you're from, who you belong to, how you were raised, and what you did before you became an adventurer. Next up is going to be your call or the incident. What led you to become an adventurer? What led you to where you are now? So this can be in either a positive light 
an, or negative light or somewhere in between. Again, this, there's not really a black and white with character creation, but um, this is what led you to become an adventurer. So either this is in, in, in a couple of fast, uh, a couple of facets. Either one, it was a call to action. It was something that happened. It was a moment. It was in, like the the character can recall the instant that he realized, okay, I, I have to do this. Or it was a slow process that eventually led them to become an adventurer. So either it was instant and they remember the exact moment or it was a process, many different small memories that led up to this. And then either it is a good or bad um, call to adventure. It could be a good it could be a good call to adventure. Maybe they come from a long line of adventurers. My father was an adventurer and his father before him and I I am going to follow in my father's footsteps and I am proud to be who I am and I am proud to go off an adventure because I I want to live up to my father's name. That's great. That's awesome. It'll be a great breath of fresh air for your party because most of the time a lot of party members don't have great backstory like like don't have super happy backstories. So that's a great way to kind of shake up your character. Oh, my character, he's excited. He's he has he's full of wonder. This is all super cool to him. Um, of course, there can also be bad things that happen to party members. Whether it was they had to flee, um, they're looking for something that is very dear to them, or something terrible happened, and that the the adventuring was just the way that either they're coping or the way that they have to deal with this, or maybe they're looking for vengeance or whatever it is. The call or the incident is what led you to become an adventurer. The next question of it is who led you to become an adventurer? Chances are you didn't just think of this yourself and then go off and start doing your thing. There's people in your life that are relevant to why you became an adventurer. And again, either a good or bad way. So um, an example of that would be if you are if you lived in a city that was great, everything was great in it, and then a terrible evil overlord came and he overthrew the city and he killed a ton of people and then you barely escaped with your life and now you're adventuring to to build up strength so you can come back and you can finish the job and exact vengeance. There are a couple key characters in that that will be important to your backstory. One is the villain, the person who did this to you. That's incredibly relevant because that's who your long-term goal is to finish off. That's I'm going to, I'm going to kill this guy. I'm going to wipe him out. Um, another is going to be people that were relevant to you that you lost that, that, that made you want to exact vengeance. Why do I want this? Why am I willing to risk my life fighting things that I shouldn't fight? Um, why am I willing to risk my life? Who am I willing to risk my life for? Because these people meant so much to me. Um, so again, what prompted you to adventure, who prompted you to adventure and why specifically adventuring? You could go down a myriad of different uh, uh, jobs in D and D, um, not necessarily the the party. The party is always called to adventure. That's the whole point of it. But we see different professions: blacksmiths, tailors, um, potion makers, enchanters, um, farmers, uh, server servants, laborers. There's there's thousands of other jobs you could pick besides just um, adventuring. So why did why adventuring? Well, a couple of reasons. Most of the time is that adventuring is highly profitable. It's highly dangerous. It's thrilling. Um, and anyone who is special already has an, a, a, a much higher chance of succeeding in doing that. And our party is special. Our characters are special. 
And so the average commoner is not going to adventure because they know I'm, I'm not able to do that. Because if you look like, let's, I'm going to take a, like a real world example. Um, if the Olympics, right. I, I Seth am not going to go do the Olympics because I would not make it in the Olympics, but Usain Bolt will. So Usain Bolt's going to go and do like, I'm, I'm literally one of the fastest people on the planet. I'm going to go and join the Olympics because I know I have a chance there. It, it's just, it, but like, it'd be, it'd be a shame if Usain Bolt said, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go work at Chili's or I'm going to go, I'm going to go work at a bank. You have one of the most powerful and cool, you have one of the coolest abilities of mankind. You are so fast and it's so, it's incredible talent and skill. Why are you going to waste it? And it's the same thing with our characters. Our characters have these incredible talents. They're versed fighters. They're um, clergymen that can they can they have powers of their god that's vested in them. They have these ancient magics. Of course, they're going to use them to adventure because who who wouldn't, right? Don't let me tell you what your character is going to do adventuring for, but remember that your character is special compared to the average person. So now that's your call. That's the incident. Now is your journey. Your journey is what is your goal now as the campaign starts? As the campaign starts, it's session one. Your character walks in. They're walking there with a goal or maybe not. But you should have a goal for your character, long-term and short-term. I like to have one of each because if you have one of each, it says, okay, I can do these baby steps to keep my character satisfied as I grow towards my long-term goal. So uh, let's take this character again where the evil overlord overthrew his home and he was and all of his, a ton of his friends died, and now he he wants vengeance. Long-term goal, I want vengeance against the evil overlord. Short-term goal is I need to eat, <laughs> and I need to fund this, and I need to grow stronger. So grow stronger, get money. Okay. Well, what could I do to do that? Well, there's I saw in the tavern there's a quest board. I might as well go there and check it out. Well, look, there's a couple other people here who, who kind of need money. Oh, look at that. They're on the quest board. There is a, there's a thing for goblins. That doesn't sound too dangerous. Okay. I'll, I'll check it out by doing, by having a short-term goal and a long-term goal. It makes it to where it's so much easier to, to feel invested with your character. As you see the progress, you feel the progress too. And not only are you not, you're not only working towards what the party wants as a whole, but also what your character wants themselves. So, uh, what is your goal now? short-term and long-term, and then how do you plan to accomplish it? And a lot of times that is through funding and growing in strength and either seeking information, um, items, or people um, to help you accomplish that task. And so you can kind of kill a couple birds with one stone by having your goals in mind and then meeting the party. These are the people that are going to help me get there. We're going to do this thing together so that we can fund our each of our different little endeavors. I'll help them on theirs. They'll help me on mine and we'll all work together. The uh, next one is the conflict. Who or what might stop you from accomplishing your goal? What is the end all be all? What is the final confrontation? Not final, but what is, what is going to, what's going to halt you and slow you down from your progress? If this evil overlord is the final boss, that's probably going to be the conflict of all conflicts for your character. However, the evil overlord's guards and his army that is beginning to spread out not only in the city but in the countryside beside it you're gonna have to fight your way through them that's the conflict that's oh man this this guy from my backstory 
it's his army. I have, we like we have to wade through this and work together. That's the conflict for your character. It is what or who might stop you from accomplishing your goal. Um, in the episode, in the DM Insight episode where I talked about this, um, I talked about how we should let DMs control the conflict. We, as players, should not control the conflict um, because, again, it's happening to our characters. It'd be different if we founded our characters and we've already had the conflict and now our character is already done with it, then uh, well, where, where does your character go from there? But because our character is growing... Um, it makes sense that the they they're not their final their final hill to climb over has not happened yet. So let the DM make the hill for us. Um, we can give them ideas. Hey, so this is the evil overlord, and here's my idea for here's my idea for what that fight might look like. But again, I trust you as the DM, and I hope that you trust me as the player that I'm going to adhere to what you're what you're going to kind of roll with. D and D is a game of people, man. We're playing D&D with people, and ultimately, uh, people and communicating with them is built on trust. It's built on a relationship that's founded over conversations, and it's built on trust. And so, uh, this isn't even a home house rule of the day. It's just trust your trust your, trust your your DM, man. Trust that they want you to have a good game, and that they're going to do what they can to help you have a good game. And then, DMs, if you are listening, trust your players, bro. Trust that your players are going to want to invest in your campaign. And that way, if everyone trusts each other and everyone pours into the campaign, that's going to be the best campaign ever. Even if the way that my character, I thought my character's backstory would go is that's not how it goes. I'm still going to have fun because I'm playing with, I play a game I love with people I love and doing something I love. Even though my character that I love didn't get exactly his thing that I wanted to happen, the party and my friends were all still sitting around playing D&D. I'm still happy. So I say house rule of the day, but just be, be trust each other, trust your DM, trust that your DM is going to try and do what he can for your, the climax of your character's backstory. Last is the resolution, which is what happens at the end. What's the last thing for your, for your character? What's the end all be all? How does your, how do you picture your story coming to a close? Don't have this planned out. Don't be like, and then after I slay the evil overlord, I will rule over the city and I will establish a new righteous order. Don't, don't, don't have that planned out from the get go. When you build to it and you reach it and now you've claimed your, you've won victory over your conflict, then, and only then really would I really seriously think about, okay, now what is my character going to do now? You can envision it. What is my what would my character do if I defeated the evil overlord? But I would not write down or put it into, hey DM, whenever the evil overlord's dead, uh, whenever you're giving your backstory, when I eventually kill the evil overlord, here's what I'm gonna do. You may never get there. We hope you do. DMs, we all we all hope you do, but who knows, right? So again, to to kind of discuss this, we have your origin, your call your journey, your conflict, and your resolution. Those five things are what makes up a player's backstory. So now what we're going to do is we're going to break down, uh, we're going to create a backstory for a D&D character. We're going to make a level three character, um, and I'm going to make the most popular D&D character ever. What I mean by that, we're going to pick the most, po- uh, the most popular background, the most popular race, and the most popular class 
by a wide margin. It is a soldier, human fighter. And you know what a lot of people are going to go? They're going to go, oh, oh, just that? That's it? You're not playing a fearbulg, druid, multi-class barbarian, multi-class cleric that is a urchin? Well, <laughs> those there's merit for both of those types of characters. It is the most commonly made because it's the most commonly understood. I know what a human looks like because I am one. I know, And I understand what a fighter does. It's in the name. They fight. I, I Okay, I can get behind that. I know what a soldier is. I... I I've seen, I've seen, I've seen any movie ever that has a soldier in it. I know what a soldier does. They fight. Okay. That is the easiest and most simple character to build ever. And a lot of campaigns kind of have weird thoughts about playing a human fighter. They think it's boring and they think that there's a, they think that the stereotype behind it is I don't have anything deep for my character. My character is just there because there's nothing built into a human fighter soldier that is necessarily super exciting because when you could either, you know, summon animals to you or supernaturally call upon the gods or have these ancient powerful magics that you can call upon and some of these really cool effects, you're dude with a sword and that's okay. Think about, think about how cool it is that your character dude with a sword is able to keep up with the people that cast spells. You're rocking with some of the coolest wizards out there and you have a sword and you're still valuable to that team. That is the coolest thing ever. If D&D were just eight wizards sitting in the corner casting fireball every turn, I wouldn't play it. I, I want to play the fighter. Let me play the really cool dude with the sword. Make your fighter cool. <laughs> so let's talk about this guy. I am My goal is to, I'm going to hit with the most commonly played class, race, and background and I'm going to use those and develop a solid backstory the goal is that because we're level three i'm building at level three it's not too long they haven't lived a thousand wars and they don't have all these powerful weapons and it's not super short my name is Leylin, and uh, i'm a fighter and i was born here and i came here and now i'm here that's not that's not what we're looking for the name of this character is Leylin rugo he's a human fighter level three which is also the most common starting uh, level because that's when most classes get their subclass. So, Leyland's origin. Leyland was born to human parents on a farm, and Leyland was raised to tend the farm and take it after his father, who was born who uh, who was who's a little sick. Um, his father is not necessarily the most um, healthy guy, and he'll eventually need help on the farm. And so, Leyland was born to take care of it. Laylin is close with his father, and he cares about him deeply. Laylin's brother, Felix Rugo, um, he does he just has a little bit of a tougher uh, situation with Laylin's father. Um, the Rugo's brother's father um, it doesn't have a great relationship with Felix, but he does with Laylin. Um, Felix does not want to be involved with the farm at all, and he's ra- he's a bit more of an outcast of the family. The Rugo brothers, however, Leyland and Felix, they were tight, two peas in a pod. Um, both looked after one another, both cared for one another deeply. They they watched each other's back. They would cover for each other when one made a mess in the house. You know how it is. Uh, whenever they were about 17, 18, about um, one night while stargazing in the middle of the rows of corn in front of their farm, just looking up, 
They heard marching that could be heard from the outside of their property. This marching, these hooping and hollering, this this loud, this loud um, chugging of metal steps. They go to investigate, and there are these well-tailored soldiers with cool weapons. Um, and jovial laughs can be heard as those soldiers went off to the front lines of a war that had just begun. And Leyland and uh, Felix were infatuated with them. They saw the cool weapons they held. They saw the cool stuff. That's the coolest thing that they had seen in almost their entire life because, again, they lived on this farm. And so Leyland goes to his father. Felix goes to his father. They both ask their father, will you let us go to the army? Let us join the army. Let us join the fight. Let us protect our country. And he says, absolutely not. I will absolutely not let you do that. That is ridiculous. And respecting his father's choice, Leyland understands, and Leyland lets it go. Felix does not, though. Felix is infuriated that he can't go. And one night, he gives a note to Leyland, telling him that he's run off and he's gone to go join the war effort. As soon as the parents find out, they are horrified at what will happen and what will become of their son, Felix. They go to Leyland, our character. They ask Leyland, will you go and will you will you find our son? Will you find Felix for us? Can you bring him home? Leyland, who cares about his father and his mother and who cares about his brother, Felix, agrees. And he goes and he joins the army with the goal and intent of bringing his brother home. He joins the army and uh, begins to train with them and gets to learn how to defend himself and is plunged into the war effort. This is now we've moved from the origin to the incident. The war is, I mean, it's, it's war's messy. At this point, the war's been going on for more than a year uh, and change, and things are starting to get rough. And he joins into Battalion 5, a frontline battalion that is supposedly has his brother in it. He's been asking around from other other people. This is a part where you can put in your own NPCs into it, either a leader, an officer, someone he was a buddy with, um, whoever you want, you can put them there. And then he gets sent to the front lines. So Leyland's on the front lines now, and he's looking for his brother, and weapons are drawn, and and the, and the war begins uh, to him. The war begins. And he realizes that this was not all it was cut out to be. It's bloody. It's it's scary. It, it, this is horrifying. This is terrible. People are screaming. People are dying. There's so much so much terrible things. There's spellcasters that are casting these spells and explosions are happening all around. This is, this is crazy. I, I don't want to be here. Leyland catches a glimpse of his brother Felix on the front lines and he charges towards him. He runs towards him completely uh, standing away from his original post, um, uh, which eventually could lead to another part uh, we'll get to in a second. But he leaves his post, he leaves his, uh, his, his place and he runs towards his brother who is in a, um, who's in a trench holding his lifeless ally in his hand. Felix is afraid. And he, and he almost reaches Felix until... Um, the enemy breaches that position and takes Felix captive and steals him away from Leyland as he was so close to finding his brother. They were they were mess, less than 100 feet away from each other. They made eye contact, and then these, these soldiers came in. They saw Felix without a weapon, and they drug him away. And so now, after having already completely disobeyed orders, Leyland decides to charge in and try and find his brother um, to no avail. And so now... He is, he's afraid, he's alone, he, he got separated from his group, and he goes back to his group, 
and only to find that he's been dishonorably discharged because he had disobeyed orders and he left his station and he tries to, he tries to parlay. He tries to, he tries to get um, their understanding, but they have no sympathy because they're in a war. And so now he's, he's no longer a soldier. He used to be, he doesn't know where his brother is. And now he's on his own. The journey this is when he comes and he meets the party. He, his goal, what is his goal? He's looking for his brother and he's trying to make a way back home to his parents. That is, that is all he cares about. He's risked everything for his brother. He's not going to stop here. He's already seen war. He already, he already knows how hard it can be, but he's willing to risk it because he cares for his brother and he wants to see him safe and he's willing to venture out. And so maybe, maybe the, for him, and this is again, all up to you, but in the incident, the this this battle, maybe that was a year and a half ago, and he's been wandering, and the war's over at this point, but he doesn't know where his brother is, and he just has to keep looking, so he finds this party who says that they're going out to do all these grand things, and they're all going to adventure and stuff, and he says, okay, why not? Why not? I'll, I'll, I'll just, uh, maybe, maybe this will help, and then he gets some gold, he gets a cool weapon, he gets to meet these guys who are really nice. He he stops by his hometown and tells him what's happened. Tells his father and his father's sick still. His father is dying maybe. Who knows? But throughout this journey, his short-term goal is I need to get stronger so I can save my brother because I don't know where my brother is. I need to find out where my brother is. Hey, where do where does this military keep their prisoners of war? Oh, they keep them here. Okay, well, I went there and he wasn't there. Okay, well, where do where do they keep uh, where do they keep soldiers of this group? And then. It goes on and on and on. And then what's his conflict? Well, his conflict is the, is, is the interaction he has and he tries to save his brother. He sees his brother and maybe there's someone guarding him. Or maybe his brother's on the other side of the war now. His brother was converted. Now he has to fight his brother. Or whatever you want it to look like. I don't know. Um, but in this case, I'm going to use the example of his brother is being guarded by somebody. Maybe some super powerful warden or maybe the general of the opposing army. He has to fight them. And the party fights, and this guy fights, and eventually they win. And what does he do after he gets his brother back? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what Leyland would do. I haven't played Leyland yet. I haven't played him for hours and sat and role played as him and gave him a funny voice as he talked. So now Leyland talks like this. I don't know. So the whole point of that is that it doesn't have to be super complex. That's not necessarily a super complex backstory. I made that in 20 minutes. And it's a solid backstory. And I, well, all I would do is I sprinkle in three or four more NPCs into the soldier aspect of my life. I talk about the exact incident that happened um, that, that led to that. And I talk about how he feels afterwards. That's a fleshed out character. That's a very fleshed out character. You have NPCs, you have your origin, your incident, your um, journey, your conflict, and what you want the resolution to look like. And that's it. Your backstory does not have to be super complicated. If you make it complicated, that's great. If you simplify it, that's great. But ultimately, the goal with doing it like this is that the players are able to have a solid backstory to give to the DM, and the DM has a lot to work with, or enough to work with, to where he can incorporate the player and make them feel involved and feel relevant into the campaign. My encouragement to you players is this, is that your DM wants to watch your character have a cool backstory. Your DM wants to see the really cool backstory that you made for your character. So... Be willing to put in a little bit of effort into making that backstory good because not only will you feel 
happy that your character is being plugged in, but the DM will feel stoked knowing that you were willing to put in time and effort into their campaign, which they probably spent a lot of time working on. Um, if they were able to throw it together in five minutes, I don't know any DM who can throw a whole campaign together in five minutes and call it and never de- prep again. Chances are they're prepping every week and they want to invest in your players and in, in your characters as much as you want to invest in them as well. So trust your DMs, DMs, trust your players. And that's it. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Wizard Apprentice Podcast. I have been your host, Seth. Follow us on Instagram at the Wizard Apprentice Podcast. Uh, we have a schedule upload uploaded there where we'll be talking about what we do and on what days we do it. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next time.